Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. How's everybody doing today? Doing all right? Hanging in there? It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm the pastor here, and it's great to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, if it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We, we are so thrilled and excited that you are here uh, worshiping with us, checking things out, and, and I would love a chance just to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me a, a huge favor and just, just let us know that you're here, you can do that a couple different ways. One, real easy, just take out your phone, text the word welcome to that number. That's all you got to do. Just text welcome to that number. Um, like I said, it gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. Uh, but we also have cards. I prefer a different way to do it. We have, we have our, our welcome cards right out there on the table uh, set up next to the coffee. You just grab one of those cards on your way home today, fill it out, and just leave that on the table. We also have uh, a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today as well. So feel free uh, to stop by there before you head out. And like I said, really, this just gives me an opportunity uh, to say thank you for your visit and let you know how much uh, we really appreciate that. So if you do that for me, I would so appreciate that. Um, but you find us here uh, towards the, uh, the beginning of our, of our series going verse by verse through the book of Acts where we're uh, week nine at this point, and uh, we're going to finish chapter two today, all right? So we've made it. We've made two chapters. We got two down, 26 to go, right? We're, we're blazing through this. I love it. Um, I, I, like I said, we're going to pick up pace. We're going to cover all of chapter three next week, so if you prefer a little quicker pace, don't worry, I got you covered. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to end chapter two today, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter two. We're going to look at verses 42 through 47, just kind of give you a an update, a recap of where we find ourselves. So Acts begins uh, with Jesus before his disciples, before his apostles saying, hey, I'm leaving. I am ascending back into heaven, uh, but awesome news, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So he tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power to be his witnesses, to be Christ's witnesses, to spread his gospel message to the world. That's what the book of Acts is all about. So the Holy Spirit comes at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, and we saw this a couple weeks ago, and we studied this, this section in chapter 2 of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit come, it fills the, the disciples, it fills the, the, the followers of Jesus, and like it's just all craziness happens. It's just amazing, it's incredible. You got people speaking other languages, speaking in tongues, this huge crowd gathers, and then Peter, Peter steps into this moment and boldly proclaims the gospel, and it's awesome, it's incredible, he preaches all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that, that he really is God, that he really is the, the savior of the world. And, and what we saw with this response, the crowd responds, right? Like it says they cut to the heart, they were convicted of their sin, and they responded by putting their faith in Jesus. And 3,000 people, y'all, 3,000 people became Christians on that day. How awesome and amazing is that, right? Like incredible. And now, like, let's see what, what, what happens with these 3,000 people. What happens now? We've got these brand new baby Christians, and what's going to happen next? And we see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So let me read that for us, and we'll spend our time breaking it down and digging into it. It says here in, in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, and they, that the they is, is this, this new group, right? This 3,000 plus people, this new group, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So right here at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that, that at the beginning of Acts chapter we started off with, with 120 of Jesus' followers, the disciples, Jesus' followers, 120 of them. And now you go just a, a few days later, the end of chapter, chapter 2 of Acts, there's over 3,000 believers. And what God does is he, he takes these new believers, this 3,000 plus group, and he creates something new with them, the church. This is the beginning of the church. This is where the church begins, right here in Acts chapter 2. The church is born. With these 3,000 plus new believers, God is taking them and he's bringing them together to form the new people of God, the church. And remember what Acts is all about, right? Remember what we said at the beginning of our series, Acts is all about, the entire book is all about the people of God expanding the kingdom of God by sharing the message of God through the power of God. That's what Acts is all about. It's all about that. And now here what God does is he's, he's taking his people, right? And he brings them together and he forms the church. And the church is now set out on mission to the rest of the world to expand God's kingdom by boldly proclaiming the gospel. And that's exactly what we're going to see throughout the book of Acts. From this point forward, it's all going to be focused on this, this group, this new people of God called the church obeying Jesus and expanding his kingdom through the gospel, through the message of Jesus. So now we've got these, these 3,000 plus people, right? Like, what, what do we do now? So we, we, we've put our faith in Jesus. What do we do now? And we see here, as they're trying to figure out what life looks like as a follower of Jesus, they commit themselves to certain things. It says that they, they devote themselves to certain things. Things, right? Like they, 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 they know they have the spirit. They know they have the power of God. They know they have God's mission that Jesus has told them, hey, go and be my witness. Like they know all of that. And now they're trying to figure out what life together looks like. And it says that they devote themselves to certain things. And I'm gonna, we're going to spend our time, the rest of our time talking about that. There's four big ideas, four big key things that the early church devoted themselves to. And these are four things that we as the church in 2022 are to continue devoting ourselves to as well. So four things that we see here. Look again at, at, at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. It says, and they devoted themselves. That word devoted themselves, if you remember back in chapter 1, we saw this phrase creep up uh, back in, in chapter 1. It says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Same word here. That word to devote, it means to, uh, it means to continually do something. It means that you are committed to doing something Regardless of what else is going on, no matter the barriers, no matter the struggles, no matter what comes up, you're going to persevere to whatever you're devoted to, whatever you're committed to. So that's what devote means. So keep that in mind as we're talking. It's this, this deep commitment. And now we see the church committing themselves to four things. What we see here is the church committed itself to the word of God, to one another, to worship, and to evangelism. These are the four things that's going to guide the rest of our time this morning. So they devoted themselves to the word, to one another, to worship, and evangelism. So let's jump in here. First one, first thing they devoted themselves to, they devoted themselves to the word. They were devoted to the word, the word of God. This is what we see right away. Right away. Look at, looking at verse 
at verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, now, what would that have been? What is, what is Luke, the author of Acts, what does he mean when he says the apostles' teaching? Well, it would have been very similar to what we just saw with Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 2. It would have been, you know, because they didn't have the full New Testament at this time, right? Like, this is, they just had the Old Testament. They just had their Hebrew writings, the Old Testament is what we call it today. They just had that. So what would the apostles' teaching have been? It would have been, like I said, very similar to, to Peter's sermon. So it would have been teaching on the Old Testament. We would have had the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, they were told by Jesus with the Great Commission, you know, go and make disciples. And what does that mean? You baptize people and you teach them everything that I commanded. So these apostles, these guys who have been with Jesus for years, are now just teaching them what, what Jesus taught them. So they're, they're teaching about Jesus. They're, they're sharing Jesus' teachings. They're teaching on the Old Testament. This is most likely what was going on in the early church. So when this, when this church gathered together, these new believers would come together in a formal gathering as the church, part of what they would do is listen to the apostles teach about Jesus. They would teach about Jesus. They would open up the word of God and they would, they would teach about Jesus. And they would, they would not just listen and hear the apostles teach, but they, they would apply it to their lives. They would live it out. And the same is true for us today. The same is true for us today. We are to devote ourselves to the word of God. This right here is our primary source. This is where we learn about God. This is where we learn what it looks like to live for Jesus, how to, how to follow Jesus here and now. We, we find it in the word of God. Paul writes this about the word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's that's scripture. That's that's the Bible that Paul's talking about here, the sacred writings. That's the Bible. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that, that the man of God or the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's the word of God. That's the Bible. Now, thankfully, what we have today uh, is, is God's full counsel. Right? We have all of the scriptures. We don't just have the Old Testament. We got the Old Testament and the New Testament. We got, we got all of it. And what Paul says here is all scripture, all this right here that we read in here, All of it is breathed out by God, inspired by God, given to us by God himself. These are the very words of God. So it's a big deal, right? This this matters. This matters. As Paul says, Paul says, not only is is it just given to us by God, like that should be the end of it. Like anything given to us by God, we should be like, oh yeah, that's awesome. But not only is it just given to us by God, he says that it is profitable. That word means it's useful, it's practical, It's practical. It helps us as believers. It it teaches us about God. It shows us what we're supposed to do. It's profitable. He also says that it it equips us for every good work. Paul uses that that good work phrase to to speak about life with Jesus, what it looks like to practically live for Jesus. So what he refers to there? The Bible helps us see that. The Bible teaches us that. So scripture is, is a really big deal. The word of God is a really big deal. This is why Paul, again, he's, he's writing to Timothy, who's, who's pastor of the church of Ephesus at this time. And just a couple verses later in, in chapter four, verse two, he's gonna tell Timothy, hey, your job as a pastor, preach the word. Preach the word. 
And hopefully that's what we're doing on Sundays. Like that's, that's my goal. That's what I want us to do. I want us to see the word of God on Sundays. This is why we open it up. This is why we, we dig into it. That's why we, sometimes we go a little slower to make sure we understand. That's why I preach a little long sometimes to make sure we're getting the word of God, right? Like this is why it's such a big deal. This is important. It matters. And look, y'all don't need to come here and hear what Travis thinks about stuff. Y'all need to hear my ideas. I don't have very many good ones, all right? What we have is the word of God. We need to come here and dig deep into God's word and not just hear it, not just hear it, but have it sink down into our hearts so that we walk in obedience to what we see in scripture. This is why we do this every single Sunday and every single time we gather, we're gonna open up God's word and dig deep into it and see what he has for us. God's word is profitable. It's good for us. It teaches us. And look, not only do we do it when we gather corporately together as the church, we're to dig into God's word on our own, individually throughout the week. I'm just telling you right now, no matter how much scripture I throw at you on Sundays, it's not enough. It's not enough. We need more during the week. We need more. We need as much of it as we can take in. So this is what we're, we're we're to be devoted to God's word, spending time reading it, studying it, digging deep into it, applying it to our lives. This is what it means to devote ourselves to the word. I love the way Psalm 19 describes God's word. It says this, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. We can just stop right there. But he says more. It's perfect, but, but there's more. Reviving the soul. I love that language. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That's the word of God. It's perfect. It makes us wise. It's right. It's pure. It enlightens us. It's true. It leads us in righteousness. More desired than even the finest of gold. Sweeter than even honey. And in keeping it, and walking in obedience to it, there's great reward. There's great blessing. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. So we need to ask ourselves, are, are we devoted to the word of God? Are we devoted to it? Do we persist in reading it? Look, I get it. Sometimes schedules are crazy, right? Sometimes it's like, oh man, you know, it's a little too busy today. Oh, I, didn't get, I didn't get to it in time. I didn't, you know, stuff came up. I haven't really, you know, yeah, I opened it last Sunday, but I really haven't looked at it since then. Saturday night, ah, oh, it'll be fine. You know, how often do we let life just get in the way of our time with the Lord? But no, when it says that they were devoted, remember that word means it. It means devotion. It means you, you, you do it regardless of what else is happening. You're committed to it regardless of what else is going on. We have to fight for time with this. We have to fight for time with this. It has to be important. It has to be a big deal. We need more than just one verse a day and some thoughts from a devotional. I'm just, I'm just being honest here. I, devotionals are great. But believers in the room, we need more than that. We need more of that. We need more of God's word. We need more of God's word. So do you, are you devoted to it? Do you persist 
and reading it. And not just, look, here's the deal, not just hearing it. We're not meant to just, just hear it and then move about our lives, right? Like my, my greatest fear as a preacher is that whatever we talk about on Sundays, we'll just go in one ear and go, oh, that was cool, Pastor. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Pastor. That was great, Pastor. But then it, it just, it's gone after that. Oh, yeah, that was cool. Oh, amen to that. That was great. But then we just go about our lives as if nothing happened. Or we read something in, in our time with the Lord, and we're like, oh, man, oh, that's so good. That's so good. All right, so what else is going on? I do that all the time. Like, how often do we do that? That's not devotion to God's word. Like, remember what James says. Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers as well. Don't just hear the word, but do it. Walk in obedience to it. That's what it means to be devoted to God's word. We hear it, and we walk in obedience to it. That's devotion. And look, I, I love I love talking about this. Like, hopefully you can tell. Like, I love talking about the word of God. And this language that Psalm 19 talks about, where we desire it more than gold, where it's sweeter than honey. I'm just telling you that that comes with spending time in God's word. So I get it. Sometimes there might be some stuff where you're like, that was, are we allowed to say it's a little boring? Sometimes, yes, okay. We can, this is a safe place. All right, we can confess. Sometimes we're reading through Leviticus or places, Second Chronicles, you know, you're reading through another genealogy. Maybe it's a little, little dull. It's a little boring. I get that. Sometimes it can be but it's inspired by the word. It's inspired by the Lord himself and given to us, and it's useful, all of it, every single part of it, it's useful. So I get it. Sometimes it can be a little dull. Sometimes it might feel like, man, I don't really understand this. I don't really know what's going on. It's over my head. I'm not grasping it. I'm not following along. I get it. Peter tells us that some of Paul's writings is hard, and when I read that passage, I, I always yell amen. I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not the only one that reads Romans, and I'm like, my, my, head, my head is hurting. This is confusing, right? Sometimes it can be a little difficult, but I'm telling you, God has given us his word, all of it, the hard parts, the things that we might see and think are boring, he's given it to us all, and it's all useful. So I'm just telling you right now, if, if you're struggling in your time with the word, if you're reading stuff, and you're like, man, I'm not, I'm not grasping it, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to structure my time to really dig into God's word and study it and apply it, please let me know. I love, I love talking with this. I love helping people. I love seeing people go, man, I've never really studied God's word to now it's like, I can't get enough of God's word. Like I love helping you get there. So if you, if you struggle with that in the past, if I'm talking to you right now, if you're like, man, I just don't know what to do, send me an email, talk to me afterwards, give me a phone call, whatever, and, and I'll, I'll meet with you. I'll help you. We'll, we'll come up with a plan and I'll help you through this. That's how important God's word is. All right, so we need to be devoted to the word of God. Second thing we see here is they were devoted to one another. Devoted to the word of God, they were devoted to one another. Look at what it says next in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship, that word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. If you've been in church any time out of time, you've probably heard a preacher like me get up and talk about koinonia, fellowship. What does it mean? It's not just fun to say Greek words, it makes us look really smart, but it actually has some meaning there. So let me explain what it means. It means to have something in common with other people. It means to have something in common. It's, it's, it's this idea of close relationships that, in, that involve sharing and commonality and mutual benefit and interest. That's the idea of fellowship according to scripture. That's what community is all about. So the, the early church here was committed to be in relationship with one another. They were committed to be in relationship. Look, look again at, at verse 44. Verse 44 says this, and all who believed were together. On the count of three, say together. One, two, three. Let's try that again. 
on the count of three, everybody say together. One, two, three. Together. That's koinonia. Together. Together and having all things in common. That's the beauty of the church, right? Like that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be together, have things in common. And look, this life together was demonstrated here in the following verses. Look at verse 45. What does this mean to be together and have all things in common? Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So what does life together look like here in the early church? What are they, what are they showing us? What does it mean to be devoted to fellowship? It means there's generosity. They, they were sharing each other's possessions. They were caring for each other, like so much that they were, they were selling some of their stuff to help care for everybody else. So there was generosity. There was also relationships outside of the formal gathering. It says in verse 46, they, they were attending the temple together and they were breaking bread in their homes. They were gathering together as the people of God, the church corporately together, which we'll talk about in a little bit. They were gathering together, but also they were spending time with each other outside of church. They were building relationships with one another, eating in each other's homes, getting together during the week. So here's what this tells us about community, because churches talk a lot about community. We'll talk a lot about, I'll talk a lot about community. We all talk about community. We all want community, 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 right? Here's what this teaches us about community. Biblical community, true gospel-centered community costs something. It costs something. Community costs something. So I think most of you guys know this. I've married almost 13 years, be 13 years in August, and my wife and I, Kendra, we have three kids. Uh, so we got Zayden, who's our oldest, he's six. Uh, Livy is five, she'll be six in, in a couple months in June. And then the, there's our youngest, Mila, she's the baby. She just turned one last month. And uh, I don't know, you know, some of you guys with, uh, with multiple kids can maybe help me with this. I feel like with Mila, the, uh, the toddler stage is just starting earlier than the other two. Like, she's already one, and I'm already, I'm already concerned about what's going to happen when she gets to ages two and three. Like, I'm already like, oh, no, what is going on here? So I just feel like she's, she's kind of just getting into that earlier. And, and part of what, what she's, you know, figuring out as a one-year-old is, is how to communicate. Uh, so she's starting to say some words. She's starting to, like, nod her head yes and shake her head no to help us communicate. And she gets really frustrated when she can't communicate uh, so it's just interesting to see that. But one of the things that she's understanding is, is the word no. She understands the word no in the sense of she knows what you're saying, right? So it's kind of like what we do with the word of God. Like she, she hears it, but she doesn't do it, right? Like so that, that's, what she, that's how she reacts to the word no. It's like, oh, I hear what you're saying. I'm still going to do whatever I want to. So she hears no, and it's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. But sometimes like she just gets really upset when you say no. Like her face changes. She gives you this look, and I'm like, who taught you that? I don't even know where this is coming from. So the other day, the other day, uh, this is Friday, um, so I, I get Livy from school. Uh, we come home, and uh, we have this, like, uh, this, this buffet kind of storage cabinet thing right by our, our garage door in the kitchen area where the, where the table is. And then she's got a bunch of stuff in there. And what Mila loves to do is open up any door she can and just pull out everything, everything. Like, there's constantly like plates and cups and anything that she can get into, it's just redistributed amongst our house. Um, so she saw this open cabinet door because Livy was getting something out of there, and she made, like, I've never seen her crawl as fast. She, like, she made a beeline to that thing, and I was like, Livy, shut the door! So Livy finally shut the door, and I was like, Mila, no, no, we can't get in there. And she lost it. Y'all, you would have thought the table fell on this girl. Like, she just lost her mind, like, full-on screaming. I was like, yeah, 
this is supposed to be like a toddler, like a three-year-old throwing this fit, and you're one. Like, you just turned, what are we doing here? But she doesn't like being told no. Now, here's the deal. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that's what we bring to our relationships. Sometimes we bring to our relationships, it's all about me, right? Or we come to the church, and we sing, it's all about you, Jesus. But what I mean when I say that is it's really all about me. It's all about me. It's all about what, what can you do for me? What can you bring into my life to help benefit? Hey, person that I want to be in a friendship relationship with, what can you do for me? Hey, church, I like you. You seem like good people. But really, what can you do for me? Like I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, I know sometimes I can think that way. We can just be so consumed with what we have going on, with our needs, what we want, that that's all we're focused on. What can you do for me? And look, that's fine for a baby to think that way, right? Like, it's fine. She's a baby. She doesn't understand. It's okay. That's not good for us. That's not how we develop true community. Community costs us something. See, too often we can be focused on what can I get out of this relationship? What can you do for me? What can this church do for me? And here's the reality. What we see here is true biblical community is not found in that. It's not found in, in what you can do for me. It's found in what I can do for others. What can I give to others? And look at what we see at the early church. Look at see what, we, what it cost them. They, they, one of the things they gave up, they gave up their finances and their possessions. They were generous with their finances and possessions. They were selling stuff so that they could help take care of those who are in need. And that, we're going to see this creep up throughout the book of Acts. And one of the things that we're going to see is it became a little bit more formalized. It started being that they brought their proceeds to the church, and, and the church was then, they entrusted the church and the leadership there to, to distribute and take care of those that are in need. And that, that's the beginning of what we see today. That's why we have these tithes and offerings moments, so we can give to the church so that we can take care of one another. And this, this, is, why, this is part of the why we give, right? This is part of why we give. We don't give because God somehow needs our money, right? Does this church need your money? Yeah, we, we probably do, but that's not why we give. If that's why you're giving, keep your money. Keep it. We don't give because we're like, you know, God, you did some cool stuff this week. So let me, let, me, let me write you a little tip here. Way to go, God. Good job, God. That's not why we give. We don't give to tip God. No, that's, that's not why. He doesn't need your money. If, if God wants this church to continue on for decades and decades, he can do it with or without our money. He's God. That's not why we give. We give because it aligns our hearts with God. It tells him that, you know what, God? I'm trusting you, not my finances. I'm trusting you, not my bank account. That's why we give. It also allows us to care for one another. Over the last few weeks, we've been able to come alongside some folks who were struggling financially and help them out. And that's all because we give, y'all. That's, that's, that's why we do this, right? So for those of you that give, thank you. Praise God for you. The Lord is using your generosity and your dedication to care for real, tangible needs in this church and in this community. Praise God for that. Now, I won't keep harping on this because there's gonna be other passages where we talk about generosity, but you want a practical step, you wanna, you wanna hear the word and do the word, if you're not giving, Now's the time. Step up and give. And watch what God will do. Step up to give. If you're not giving, there's no better place to start. And look, let me say this too, because a lot of times churches, we focus so much on the give, 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 give. I just want you to hear this. There's a time for giving, and, and there's also a time for receiving. 
Okay, so if you're in need, let us know. This is what the church is here for. If you're struggling in any way, let us know. This is why we're here. We are here to come alongside you and help you in real, tangible ways. That's part of what the church is for. So there's a time to give, but then sometimes things happen, life happens, and there's a time where we need to receive help. So let us know. If that's you, if you're, if you're walking in, I know it's embarrassing at times. I know it's difficult to, to say those things, but just know you're not going to meet shame here. You're going to meet open arms of a church that loves you and wants to walk alongside you in this. So let us know. That's what we're here for. So they gave it their finances. They also gave it their time. And they gave it their time. They gathered together regularly, not just corporately as a church, right? Not just corporately once a week on Sundays. They came together separately on their own outside of church to build relationships with one another. And I love that it talks about how they, they shared meals together. There's no better way to get to know somebody than sharing a meal with them. So look, our, our church is small enough that, that we should have good relationships with anybody, but if there's somebody in here that you're like, man, I don't really know them that well. I don't really know their story. Here's a great idea. Just invite them over for dinner. Invite them over for dinner. Open up your home, make a meal, gather together around a table, and build relationships. There's no better way to do that. And it says that they, they gathered with glad and generous hearts. I love that. that. The word generous means sincere. What that means is that they had glad and sincere hearts. They enjoyed being around each other. How cool is that? Like the church just loved being around each other. I, I, that's the kind of church that we want to be, right? Like that, that we just want to enjoy time together. Like that's awesome. All right, so how can we grow in our generosity? How, are we more focused on what, what others can do for me than, than how I can give and support and care for those around me, right? Like, these are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves. And thinking through our, our time, look, I get it, we're, we're busy folks, we got a lot going on, but am I more committed to my schedule, to what I have going on, than I am to building relationships with those in the church? Community costs something. It might cost some finances. It might mean you, you rearrange your budget a little bit to give. Maybe it means you, you rearrange your schedule. You cut some things out of your busy lives so that you can spend time in relationship and building relationships with the church. Community costs something. It takes time and sacrifice. All right, so they were devoted to the word. They were devoted to one another. Third thing, they were devoted to worship. They were devoted to worship. So four aspects of their worship that I want to point out quickly uh, the first thing that, that they were devoted to in terms of worship was corporate worship, corporate gathering. Look, look again at verse 46. Look again at verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together. Now, I don't know why. I'm reading out of the ESV version. Some of you guys might have different versions. might say something different. I don't know why they, they translated attending the temple. That word attending, it's the same word in verse 42 where it says devoted to. Same exact word. So what this tells us is they were committed to, devoted to, gathering together as the church coming together in a formal gathering, attending the temple every day, not just on Sundays. It says every day. Every day they did this, committed to do this for, for worship and teaching and communion and, and prayer, all these things. They were deeply committed to gathering together as the church. Do we have that same level of commitment? Do we have that same level of, of devotion, of gathering together? This is a vital part of being the church. A vital part is, is gathering together as the people of God. Are we committed to that? Are we devoted to that? We have to make this a priority. 
we have to make this a big deal. It matters. It matters to us as a church. It matters to us spiritually as individual believers. We need to gather together as the church. And look, they were going every single day. Y'all, I'm just asking for one day a week. One day a week. Can we do that? They were going every day. I'm not, I'm not trying. We don't need to do that. All right, it's okay. You don't have to come here every single day. I'm not asking for that. But can we come once a week? Can we make Sundays a sacred moment where we say, you know what, regardless of what's going on, I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to be there on Sunday. I'm going to be there on whatever's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm there for worship because it matters. We've got to devote ourselves to this. So corporate worship is a big deal. Second thing they devoted themselves to in their worship was communion. Communion. Look at, look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. That, that phrase, the breaking of bread, especially in terms of a corporate gathering like this, that phrase came to be a way to refer to communion. And we know from places like uh, 1 Corinthians 11, when the early church would gather together, a lot of times what that, what that meant was they would share a meal together. And whether it was at the beginning or the end, there would be some point during that meal where they would pause as a church and they would, they would celebrate communion. They would take a moment and celebrate and remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. They would do that every single time they gathered. And this is why we do communion every single Sunday. Every time we gather together, we're going to do communion. We're going to take a moment at the end of our service. We're going to remember Jesus. We're going to celebrate what he's done for for us, and we're going to worship him. We're going to worship our Savior every single time we gather. This is the the example that we've been given with the other church, and we want to continue that today. So they were devoted to communion. Another thing it says there is they were devoted to the prayers, to the prayers. I'll be honest, we don't really fully know exactly what that means, but uh, a lot of times with the practice, and we're going to see this in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John went up to the, to the temple for the hour of prayer. So there was this uh, part of Jewish worship involved going up to the temple every day for this evening sacrifice that would happen, and that would involve a time of prayer. So it could have been just in the model of that, these early Christians who were very much still Jewish in their, their understanding and their upbringing and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, maybe it was part of, they would just devote themselves to, to certain prayers, maybe it was certain Jewish prayers, praying through the Psalms, maybe it was Jesus' prayer that he taught them. We don't really know. But what we do know is they were committed to prayer and we're to commit ourselves to prayer too. Not just together as the church, but individually as believers. We are to commit ourselves to prayer. Prayer is a big deal. We need to pray more and more. I've never heard anybody that says, you know what, I've prayed enough. You know, I'm good on prayer. I could probably pray less in my life, to be honest with you. Like, I've never heard any believers say that. I've certainly never felt that way. If anything, it feels like, you know what, I need to pray even more than I am right now. So let's pray. Let's be people that pray. And the last part of their worship, and I love this, is that they were filled with an awe of God. Look at verse 43. An awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. They were filled with awe. That word awe is literally translated fear. It means to have this, this deep fear, reverence, and respect for God. It's the idea that it's bringing out here. And that's the ultimate goal of our worship, right? For our hearts to be filled with such deep devotion and love for God that we're just, we're just taken aback, right? Like we're just, man, I don't even have words to put into this, how good God is. And for that to happen, we have to see God for who he truly is, right? We have to see God for who he truly is. I love the places where, where people in scripture are confronted with who God truly is. Like we see this in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah doesn't even get confronted with God. He's, he's confronted with an angel and he just falls on his face. 
Or you think about Revelation chapter 1 where the apostle John sees Jesus as he is right now, right? Like typically we see Jesus, that picture, he's got long flowing blonde hair, very pretty Jesus, very pretty. I know, very good looking dude. Like that's the typical vision that we have of Jesus. No, you read, go read Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 19, you will see Jesus for who he truly is. So John is confronted with who Jesus truly is and what it says that he falls down as if he's dead, just collapses to the ground. He can't handle it. He can't take it in. That's our God. Our God is not a boring God. Our God is not a safe God. No, he is God of this universe. He created everything by the power of his word. Hebrews 1 says that he upholds the power of the universe with his words. With his word, he upholds everything. That's crazy, y'all. Spoke everything into existence. This is our God. That's who our God is. When we come to worship, when we come to our God, whether it's in our personal time, whether it's together as the church, that's who we're coming to worship. Hebrews 12 puts it this way. Author of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. We need to see God for who he truly is. Some of us have grown bored with God. Our God is not boring. He is a consuming fire fire. We need to remember who our God is, remind ourselves who our God is and what he's done for us, and let that fill our hearts with love and devotion for him. And when we do that, all this other stuff is going to flow out of that, right? When we have that heart for God, that love for God, we're going to want to dig into his word. We're going to want to come gather together as people. We're going to want to devote ourselves to relationships. We're going to want to share that with everybody, right? Like that's, that's what it means to have awe of God, that it just consumes all of us. So the church was, was devoted to the word. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to worship, and, and they were devoted to evangelism. This is where we'll end our time today. They were devoted to evangelism. Look how it ends in verse 47. It says, They were breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I mean, how awesome is that? Every single day they were seeing people put their faith in Jesus. Dead people in their sins, now alive in Christ. Lost people, now found. They were devoting themselves to evangelism. And through that, God, every single day, Every, I, could just, I can't even wrap my head around that. Every single day, people were coming and putting their faith in Jesus. How awesome is that? That's incredible, right? It's amazing. Now, what can we, we learn about the early church with, with evangelism? What can we see here that helps us today? Well, one of the things that we see is verse 47. says that they had favor with all the people. They had favor with all the people. Another way that could be translated is they had, they had goodwill towards all people. So it's either, you know, all the people were looking favorably upon them or they were looking favorably upon others. Could be either way, I say it's both. I think it's both. I think they had good relationships with those outside the church. And here's what that means for us. They weren't an inwardly focused church. It wasn't just about gathering together as the people of God. It wasn't all about, let's just take communion together. It wasn't all about, let's just worship and sing some songs together. It wasn't all about, let's just, let's just get together with the church. Let's just build relationships with one another. No, it wasn't inwardly focused. They were also outwardly focused. They were also outwardly focused. They, they, were, 
that we're committed to being Christ witnesses, right? That's the evangelism plan in the book of Acts. You know what it looks like to share your faith. Acts tells us you're Christ's witness. You just tell people about Jesus, what you've seen and what he's done in your life. That's all you got to do. That's what it means to share the gospel. You are Christ's witness, and he called the church to do that. And what we see here is the early church was committed to doing that. They were committed to being Christ's witness. Remember, this is what the book of Acts is all about. It's all about the people of God expanding the kingdom of God through sharing the message of God by preaching the, uh, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And what we're led to believe here about the book of Acts, about the early church here in the book of Acts, is that they were committed to doing this. They were committed and devoted themselves to engaging with people around them that didn't know Jesus. They didn't wall themselves off. They didn't seal themselves in some Christian bubble. That's not what they did. They were regularly engaged with people in their life that didn't know Jesus. They were regularly sharing the gospel. So we see that, that they were, they were engaged with the world around them. They were engaged with that. And then it says that, that, that God added to their number. So the second thing we see here about evangelism is God used their obedience to save people. It says that they got added to their number every single day. Day by day, God was adding to their number those who were being saved. So there's two things that we can note from this. One, God wants to use us in the salvation of other people. He wants to use us in the salvation of other people. The God of this universe, who saves people, who forgives us of our sin, decides to use broken people like us, still very much struggling with our sin, still selfish in our own way, still doing a bunch of things that we know we shouldn't be doing. He wants to use us to save people. Y'all, that's crazy. That's crazy. But this is what he does. It's by his word being proclaimed. It's by his people being witnesses that God uses that to draw people to himself. He invites us into this process. What a blessing that is. What an opportunity that is. So he brings us in. And then it's, a, so he wants to use us, but then ultimately it's his job to say, right? It says that the Lord was adding to their number. He's the one that saves, which honestly is an incredible relief on me and any of us that go and share the gospel with somebody. Because what that means is it's God's job to save. My job is to share. My job is to speak. My job is to tell people about Jesus. God's job is to save. So what that means is, is I don't have to have all the best words. I don't have to have all the answers to everybody's questions. Like so often we just let fear get in the way, and we just, we just don't know what to do, right? Like we just freeze up. But this this frees us to not have to worry about that. Like, all we're called to do is obey God and, and trust him with the results. So that's what we do. We share, we witness, we talk about Jesus, and we watch God work. We watch God work. So our job is to witness. God's job is to save. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? One of the things it means is, is we need to constantly be asking ourselves, who do I need to engage with? Who in my life right now in this moment needs to hear about Jesus? Who needs to hear about Jesus? Who do I need to engage with? Who do I need to build a relationship with to tell them about Jesus, to talk about how good and amazing and wonderful this Jesus is? Is it a friend, family member, a coworker, your neighbor? 
But God has you where he has you for a reason. He has you where you live, in this area, on that street, in that neighborhood, at that job, wherever it is. He has you there for a reason, and one of those reasons is to be his witness. So we need to constantly be asking ourselves, who do I need to tell about Jesus? Who do I need to invite to church? Well, y'all bring him here. I'll tell him about Jesus, all right? I love talking about Jesus. I'll do that for you. I got no problem with that. As we see the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she, she gets to know Jesus, and then what does she do? She goes back to her town and says, hey, y'all got to come meet this Jesus. You, you, you come with me and meet this Jesus. Like that, That's what we do. Y'all come and see. Come and see about this Jesus. Oh, Easter's coming up. There is no better time in the entire year to invite people to church. No other time of the year are people more willing to go, ah, yeah, sure, I'll go check that church out. Sometimes it's just strictly for tradition. It's like, you know, I grew up going to church on Easter. Let me continue that again. Or you know what? My family, you know, they really like it, so I typically don't go, but you know what? I'll do it to honor them, right? Like, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, just, just ask and invite and watch God work. Watch God work. And like, I promise you this, you bring them on Easter, and I will tell them about Jesus. And look, the good thing is, I don't have to do it perfectly. I'm not, I'm not the best preacher out there. There's a lot of other guys that are way better than me. But guess what? God works. And you don't know that one invite, that one time that they come, they might hear the gospel. The Lord's going to convict them. They're going to put their faith in Jesus. And it started with you obeying Jesus' call. So take advantage of this opportunity. And the other thing we see here is this is how God grows the church. This is how God grows the church. What we see throughout the book of Acts is that God grows the church by using the obedience of his people to share the gospel, to see sinners get saved. This is what we see. And look, it, it's really easy. It's really easy to become an inwardly focused church. You know, I think especially, you know, some of the churches more in our, in our camp where we we talk the Bible a lot. We, we hold theology in high regard. We want to learn about the good things of Jesus, but so often we just let it stay there. And we just become so inwardly focused that we've lost our mission. What a shame that would be. What a shame that would be. That's not what I think. I think if I were to ask every single one of you, like what if, what if one day Haynes Creek was described the way the church is described here in Acts. What if one day somebody would, would be writing about Haynes Creek and they would say, yeah, it's that church where every single day God's adding to their number those that are being saved. I think if, if I were to tell you that, we would all be like, sounds great to me. Who wants that? I think all of us would say, yes, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. But it starts here with us actively obeying God's commandment. It starts with us walking in obedience. Look, it wasn't passive. You know, it wasn't just a bunch of people in the church just going, man, I hope people show up. I hope lost people just kind of stumble on the property. And they're like, ooh, cool, a church that meets in a trailer. Let me go check that out. That's not what we see here. We see believers actively sharing their faith, actively talking about Jesus, actively going out and boldly proclaiming the gospel. Now, look, if y'all if study Anything about uh, church attendance over the years, I'm a nerd, so I, I get into this kind of stuff. Um, but if you look at the numbers, what you will see is over the last several years, the church has been rapidly declining in attendance. But that doesn't mean that there's just so many Christians out there that, you know, we just don't have a need for that anymore. No, because what we're seeing with our culture and what we see in America, like our culture is rapidly going away from any sort of cultural Christianity, right? Like there is there's not much of that anymore. So we've got a lot of non-believers and then church attendance declining. 
And a lot of people will tell you the reason we see that is because there's also a decline in evangelism. There's a decline in believers stepping out into this moment and sharing the gospel. Now, sometimes we can just get discouraged by that, right? Like, oh man, the church is rapidly declining. Wow, that's so sad. That's, oh, that's terrible. What are we going to do? Christians, what are we going to do? We're just going to be persecuted and attacked from all Like, What are we going to do? It can just be really discouraging. But when I see that, what I see is an opportunity. I see an opportunity. Because I don't think God's up on his throne. I don't think Jesus is up on his throne and going, oh man, America, man, y'all used to be a Christian nation and now you're not and I didn't see that coming and I don't really know what to do with that. So, you know, good luck with that, y'all. Good luck with that. I'm, I'm kind of done with America. Let me go find another Christian nation and I'm gonna work there. Like that's, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think we have this incredible opportunity where there are still people in this world, in this community that Christ wants to save. And here's the deal. He wants to use you to do it. He wants to use you to do it. We have an incredible opportunity before us, church. I've talked about this plenty before, but Newton County is one of the most unchurched areas in the entire state of Georgia. We have an incredible opportunity. God wants to use us in the salvation of others. He's not done with this place yet. He's not done with Newton County. He's not done with this area. There are still people that need to hear the gospel that Christ wants to save and rescue and redeem. And he's invited us into that. If we want to be a church that sees people putting their faith in Jesus, that sees dead people coming alive, it starts with us obeying this. Let's not let this be a moment where we just hear something and go, yeah, that sounds good, and then move about our lives. No, let's apply this, y'all. Let's be a church that is devoted to evangelism. Let's boldly step into the darkness with the light of Christ, with the saving message of Jesus, and watch him work. He's invited us in. Let's respond to obedience. Let's respond to this with obedience, y'all. So like the early church, we, we are to be a church that is, that is devoted to the word, devoted to one another, devoted to worship, and devoted to evangelism. Let's be a church that's committed to those things. Let's be a church that's devoted to the word, not just when we gather, but when we scatter in our own lives on our own. Let's be a church that, that's, that's generous, with our time and our resources, generous to, to build relationships with one another and care for each other. Let's be a church that, that devotes ourselves to God, give, giving all that we have in worship to him. And let's devote ourselves to evangelism. <laughs> Lord, let us not become an inwardly focused church. What a shame that would be. What a waste of an opportunity. Church, let's step boldly into this moment with the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come as, as they do and, and end with a time of worship. And like I said, what we do every single Sunday around here is we end our, our time preaching together by having a moment of communion. So this is, this is for the believers in the room. So, so if you're here and you put your faith in Jesus, this is the time for you to celebrate that. That's what communion was done. Jesus called us and commanded us to do this in remembrance and celebration of him. 
So in a moment, I'm going to pray. Believer in the room, I want you to take as much time as you need. You, you pray, get your heart right with the Lord. Maybe you need to spend some time just repenting of sin. Maybe you're realizing, man, I, I, I've been selfish with my time and my resources. Or, or maybe, you know what, I, I haven't been devoted to the word. I've been just letting it kind of go in one ear and out the other. Or, or there's people in my life that need to hear about Jesus, and, and I haven't, haven't done that. Maybe we need to repent and get ourselves right with God, right? Like we need to come back in line with God. So spend and take whatever time you need, and as, as you feel led, as your hearts are ready and prepared, we have the tables on either side over here with the elements. We take the bread and we take the cup representing the broken body and shed blood of Jesus on the cross. We take, we eat, we drink, and then, and then church, we, we worship our good God and Savior. We worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you're here and, and you don't know Jesus, you never put your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you, let, let, let today be the day of your salvation. Jesus loves you. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? Like he, he sees everything about us. He sees all of our mistakes. He sees all of our guilt, all of our shame, all the ways we mess up. And he says, I love you, and I died on the cross for you. Right? That, that's the good news of the gospel. We are more sinful than we ever dared believe, and, and we are more loved than we ever dared imagine. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Jesus says, if you, want, if you want life, if you want forgiveness, if you want salvation, all we're called to do is, is call out to him in faith. Call out to him in faith. And what that means is, is, is as I pray, if you're here and you don't put your faith in Jesus, you want to do that, all you got to do is pray to you and you just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to save me. I'm trusting you to save me. And I want to live my life for you. You tell him that, and, and he does. That's the beauty of the gospel. He, he saves us. He rescues us. He makes us new. We go from being dead to alive. And if that's you here, let us know. I'll try to, I'll try to be as calm as I can if you tell me that, but I'll, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little excited. All right, I'll just be real with you. That's awesome. That's such good news. And come take communion for your first time as a follower of Jesus. Let me pray for us, church. We'll step into our moment of worship. Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you've created this new community, this thing that's called the church. Is it messy sometimes? Yes. Is it broken sometimes? Yes. Do we get things wrong sometimes? Yes, absolutely. But Lord, it is such a gift. It is such a gift to not have to live this life in isolation, and not have to try to be a believer, to try to be your follower on our own. Jesus, thank you for the church. Lord, I pray for us at the church at Haynes Creek, Lord, that we would be devoted to these things, Lord, that we would commit ourselves fully and completely to you, Lord, that we would walk in obedience to all that you say, even in these hard moments, even in these difficult, awkward conversations that we may have, Lord, would you work, would you move in power, Lord? We know that you will. Lord, you are a God that loves to save people, that loves to use our, our little and broken efforts at times to work miracles, Jesus. I pray that you would do that, Lord. Let it be said of this church one day, that, that there is day by day those that you are adding to the number to be saved, Lord. Let that be the case. Give us strength to walk in obedience. Give us increased faith and trust in you for the days ahead, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you for who you are and all that you've done. In your name we pray.